0: So, Father, we do just commit this time to you and I thank you for your servant and our friend, our brother, Brent, and I pray that you would use him this morning to speak to our hearts. I pray that you would use him to set us free, pray that you would use him to help us know what does it mean to abide forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thanks for having me back. You never know if you give a lust talk if you're going to get kicked out or if you're going to be welcomed back again and apparently uh, I wasn't too mean, wasn't too vulnerable. Uh, If you weren't here last week and you hear lust talk, uh, you can always go listen to it again. I actually get really nervous about being recorded. Uh, Part of that is a filter problem, it's a me problem. Uh, Part of that is uh, I've actually never listened to a fully recorded talk of my own. Uh, It's a window into my heart that I I am my worst enemy most of the time. So I will hear everything wrong and I will beat up everything worth beating. And uh, the Lord just kind of said, let it be, you know. And as I came to the topic of greed, which is the other um, out-of-control desire of the eyes. Uh, I was actually this morning on the way here praying about how I, I kind of wish this wasn't recorded. And, and I thought about it for a couple reasons. One is um, the hiddenness of greed is incredibly difficult to speak to. It lurks in the dark. It finds a way to... Um, Um, convince its victims that it doesn't exist. And it's a very difficult thing to define and a very difficult thing to identify. And so part of what um, I was thinking about doing this morning, and I'm not, so you can have some relief, was actually getting you guys to help each other identify areas of greed in your lives. I realize some of you may not know each other that well, and so that would be a very, very, very uh, awful thing to do. So we're not going to do that this morning. But I do want to take time just for a moment just to pray and center us. Um, Billy Graham once said, if you give me five minutes with a man in his checkbook, I can tell you exactly where his heart is. And I think it is um, perhaps even more than less an area in the heart of a man that has a do not enter zone. Um, that at least has blinking railway lights, and if you try to cross that path, you're going to get slammed. There's a defensiveness that naturally rises in us when it comes to the topic of greed, of money and possessions. So, um, if you'll bear with me, I just want to take 30 seconds, and I I personally, but I also want you personally, just to take the time to ask God to give you an openness around this thing that we so often can choke and guard so diligently. Okay? You don't have to do it out loud, but just take about 30 seconds while I pray out loud. Prepare your heart too. Father, help us to see what you see and not be afraid. Father, help us to be open to hear your voice, not just in the easier, pleasant places of our lives, but also in those that perhaps we've been disregarding or dismissing for quite some time. Father, my heart is a little heavier this morning because perhaps in my own life, this has been bigger than I thought. And yet, Lord Jesus, we know that it is in those deeper and darker places that your rescue and your grace becomes most precious. And so I pray today that you would help us to hear, help us to identify, help us to rejoice, help us to have the right treasure. I ask all this in your name. Amen. Uh, Our passage has been 1 John 2. If you've not been with us, I'm going to read it. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Last week, I introduced a simple paradigm that acts as kind of an interpreter or a commentary on that verse. I'm not going to take time this morning, and I didn't last week, to exegete this entire passage. I think that's been done enough. But this little paradigm kind of helps set the stage for exactly what desire of the eyes might mean. Um, Namely, that worldly desires create disorder. And worldly desires disappear. And godly desires rule. You can see that at the end of the passage. And godly desires remain. And the desires mentioned in this passage, Pat's uh, so wonderfully pronounced epithemia, but I'm going to split it out epithumia, epithumos, which literally means over desire. Epi meaning over, thumos meaning desire. And what happens with these things, these desires of the eyes, these desires of the flesh, the pride, the boasting about our life, um, is that they begin to control us. And these things that were meant to be small, enjoyable echoes of the heart of God. I'll say it less preachery that our desires, would look and be like His desires. Epithymia is those out of control. It's disordered. It's flipped on its head. And what it promises, it never delivers. Because right when you think you get it, it's gone. And then you have to go get it again, and then it's gone. And you have to go get it again, and it's gone. And that really is what leads to different kinds of addiction, different kinds of habits, different kinds of patterns in our lives. And last week we discussed lust, which is this out-of-control desire of the eyes in the arena of intimacy or sex. This week we're going to discuss greed, which is that out-of-control desire in the arena of money and possessions. We need only look at the first line of that passage to see the warning against greed, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, I know this can be a sensitive subject. It's sensitive to those who have lots of it. And it's also sensitive to those who have little. It's actually something that both have in common. Okay, both parties tend to initially take a defensive stance toward this. Because when we talk about money and possessions, what we're really talking about is an issue of security. Those who have can secure themselves in insecure things. Those who don't have wish they could secure themselves in insecure things. They're insecure around the topic of money and possessions. Whereas the one who has feels very secure, but it's actually the exact same thing. And so, just a quick word. I said this last week in a warning. I think it applies again because the desires of the eyes typically need to be addressed kind of in two ways. One is we must dig deep. Okay? We're going to see Jesus' words, that where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. And so, talking about money and possessions is really... An opportunity, a gateway, a pathway to get to the bottom of our hearts, to see the desires that are controlling within. We put it a different way. It's not really ultimately about money. It's really ultimately about love, about what we really want, what deep down really exists, In our hearts. And so we must dig and allow God to search the true desires of our hearts. That's why I had that short time of prayer in the beginning. And this is especially true regarding money and possessions. If we will not dig, we cannot find what our true gold is. And that's why Jesus said this What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, foolishness. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so we have to dig deep, but we also can't hide. More will be said to this as we consider the words of Jesus surrounding the topic of possessions and money. But just to be upfront with you guys, um, Greed has a way of hiding. Um, Most men not only hide their greed, but greed actually hides from them. It lies deep in the dark and it will only expose itself when it feels threatened. Talks like this can feel like a threat. They pose a threat. And it's a threat to a hidden desire. But I I hope we'll refuse greed's call to hide and actually examine the recesses of our heart that will actually dig down, dig deep, and be honest, because greed is most deadly when it's underestimated and dismissed. So let's dig deep and not hide. Um, Briefly this morning, I first want to talk about what greed is. okay? And then we're going to look at a sermonette. I call it a sermonette because it's a portion of Jesus' only fully recorded sermon that we have in Scripture, where we can find out how to identify greed and how to do battle against it. Okay, so what is greed? Well, greed comes from the Greek word pleonexia. And this is what it literally means, to have more or greater of something. Okay, pleon means more or greater, and echo means to have or hold. And when it comes to money and possessions, I love that it's to have or hold because it's the idea that there's a tightened grip on something. And so what greed literally does is creates an insatiable desire to have more or greater amounts of money or possessions. It's an overdesire. It's really a consuming drive. It leads us kind of to a place where we say, I've got to have more money. I've got to have more things. And we hear John's command do not love the world or the, the things of the world. For if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. It's a strong warning and a strong command. But greed itself is just that insatiable desire to have more. Okay, Maybe a description will help. I experienced this as a child at Hollywood Video. That is when we had to go physically rent a movie from a place. Uh, They were VHSs. That tells you my age. Um, I've seen other forms of watching videos, but we would go to Hollywood Video when I had been an obedient child and my mother thought it a worthy thing to do. And I would get excited, good motivation or not, because if I was obedient, I was going to get to go not only rent a movie, but I get to pick out which movie I would rent. Now, my mother wouldn't let me listen to secular music until I was in about fourth or fifth grade. Of course, I snuck it. Right? Right? That's what every kid tries to do with rules that seem ridiculous to them. But she had this leniency when it came to renting videos. And so I actually grew up watching horror movies, like scary stuff. Okay, I couldn't listen to Michael Jackson's thriller, but I could watch uh, Freddy Krueger. You know, try and balance that out in the mind of a mother. And again, I'm being recorded, so now she has been lambasted (laughs) over the Internet. She had great intentions. We would arrive, we would show up. I always looked forward to it, but there was something I looked forward to more. There was a big fountain in the courtyard where Hollywood Video was situated. And every time I'd walk by that big fountain, I would look in, and you know what was in there? Thousands of little kids' wishes. Coins. Lots of them. Well, on one such visit, I decided I was going to indulge myself. So as we walked in, I scooped my hand through and got a whole handful of golden coins, mostly copper and silver, but I like saying golden coins, (laughs) right? And I stuck them in my pocket. And I decided that was so much fun that I just had to have more. And so I told my mom to actually go pick out a movie for me. She thought that was strange, but didn't question. I stayed outside. And I scooped in and got another handful of coins and put them in my other pocket, But I had to have more. I ended up taking my shoes off, (laughs) getting into the fountain, and filling my pants up with coins. Of course, they're getting wet. There's water in the fountain. I know it's Wichita Falls, Texas, but there's actually water in the fountain. And I go back to the car, I sit in the back seat of the car, and it sounds so ridiculous because I had filled my pants with 12 pounds of coins All these wasted wishes of children are sitting in the pockets of my pants because I just had to have more. And when my mom came out, she looked in the back seat of the car and saw me, and it was no secret. She immediately knew what I had done. She made me empty my pockets, and she made me go apologize to the store manager. That's a good mom. I just had to have more. I didn't know that once I finally got my hand on something of significance, that it would create an insatiable desire in me to keep scooping. Okay? So saying, by definition, that greed is this insatiable desire to have greater and more is really pictured in the, the heart of Brent Baker as a child. Where I would unknowingly be so ridiculously weighted down with gold that it would be obvious but it just came one scoop at a time. That's the way of greed. That's what it does. Let me say a word money itself is not evil. We, we need to agree to that. It's spoken of as the roots of all kinds of evil. And it's because of the over-desire that it produces in us called greed. Okay? Greed is this insatiable desire for money and it can't be satisfied. It's like a slow, rumbling insecurity. That secures itself to material things. And it makes money and possessions a source of security and trust. It makes it a treasure. Instead of the tools that those things were meant to be. And slowly but surely, instead of ruling over our money, it begins to rule over us. Perhaps one of the other dangers of greed is that it is culturally and socially acceptable. And this is true both inside and outside the church. It's especially true in a business environment. And we underestimate the monster that it can become. We, we actually tend to underestimate greed. I uh, Recall the list that I read from Mark 7. I'll, I'll read lists like that in Scripture. This one was particularly from Jesus' mouth. And I'll find my brain doing this. I'll start to give different weight to different sins. Have you ever done that? I mean, we all know that all sin is the same in the eyes of God. But is it really? Right? I mean, in this list, greed certainly is going to get relegated below things like thievery, murder, and adultery. Can we all agree on that? I would rather be greedy than a murderer or an adulterer. But the truth is that greed is capable of producing the entire list. Greed begins within from deep desires born deep in the heart as this appetite for material gain. And in its seed form, it starts as desire for more money. And after all, everyone wants more money than they already have. Right? And we underestimate it. It gets minimized. It gets rationalized. It even gets accepted and justified. There's, there's a movie from the 80s. I actually heard this quote as we left last time. It's the words of Gordon Gecko. I'm going to read it to you. It's from the movie Wall Street. Michael Douglas, anybody seen it? Yeah, a lot of you have seen it. Good, then you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm about to say. He stands up and says, The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. It cuts through. It captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, greed for money, greed for love, greed for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. This insatiable appetite for more money has caused humanity to be exactly what it is. Not seeing the trail of blood, the broken relationships, the abuse of humans, the misplaced desires of our own hearts that trail behind it, all in the name of financial progress. And so greed hides from its victims and it grows on this seedbed of minimization and rationalization and acceptance. And it feasts on the permission that we give it to remain there. And the desire for money and possessions really does begin to take control of us. And so our eye seeks the desires of the eyes. Our eye seeks to fulfill what our heart begins to desire. And if I cannot get what it sees, greed might end up making thieves of us, won't it? We might cheat on our taxes, or worse, and we've seen this in our own country. We might take part in unethical business practices. Have you seen the movies Wall Street or The Big Short? Right? Greed might even make murderers of us. I had someone confess to me over a cup of coffee that they felt shame because they knew of the inheritance they would have when a certain family member died and receiving that inheritance was more precious to them than the life of the person itself. That's a passive way of saying if their life is gone, I'll be happier. We don't think of it this way, but greed will certainly lead us down a path that we don't want to go. At the least, it makes us envy, doesn't it? Do you know envy is literally, the, the, the words are ophthalmos and poneros, which it means evil eye, ophthalmologist. And jealousy is saying, I want what you have. But envy is saying, I wish that was taken from you. See, jealousy starts to de- destroy the self, but envy actually starts to destroy another. I don't have what you have. I want it so badly. I wish you didn't have it. All of this stemming from the seed of everybody just wants a little more money, don't they? And so you can see how money itself is not evil, but it's the root of all kinds of evil. Let's not overestimate our hold on greed and let's not underestimate the power of it. Because it will grow in our hearts and make us capable of every item on that list. And so we have to dig. We need to do a treasure hunt. Let me tell you what this isn't. This isn't meant to be a guilt trip. Let me tell you what it is. It's meant to be a treasure hunt. When Jesus, in his sermon, goes into the arena of possessions and greed, he starts talking about treasure. And the subtle difference is that he's talking about something in the realm of desire in the realm of security, in the realm of trust. Okay, And so what I want us to do is go on a treasure hunt. And I want us to, now that we know not only greed, but the danger that it can become, we can identify maybe what greed looks like and how we can battle against it. Jesus spoke very often about possessions in His three-year ministry, more than He talked about heaven or hell. It's true of the prophets who preceded Him. There's something incredibly important about this. Okay? And these important and good things become evil when they become our ultimate desires or as his sermonette will mention they become our treasure. And Jesus takes up the middle of his sermon on the mount to tackle this topic. It's really going to sound a lot like John. John poses God and the world as if they are juxtaposed to one another, doesn't he? Okay, Jesus is going to do the same thing in four little paragraphs. The first is going to talk about two locations where you're storing your treasure. The second is going to talk about two kinds of eyes. The third is going to talk about two kinds of masters. And the last is going to talk about two kinds of kingdoms. And these are helpful identifiers for us to know if the seeds of greed really do exist within our own hearts. And so this is where he starts, and this is on your handout. The sermonette. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, first and foremost, the greedy man is fearful. Okay, notice the universality of the command. Every man lays up treasure. This is not about whether you have treasure or not. The question of the passage is, where are you putting it? The greedy man stores up his treasure on earth. And those who store up their treasures on earth will live in a constant substate of fear because their treasure is susceptible to tearing, breaking, loss, and decay. The greedy man spends most of his energy and time vying for such treasure and trying to protect it from decay or loss, but it won't work, will it? It's a false security, and it's a false hope. It's trying to secure himself to insecure things, and that creates, in the bed of the heart, a state of fear. And so the greedy man lives to get more and more and more, not just because his greed's driving him to do something like that, but because he must have more stored up in case something might happen. His treasure reveals his trust, doesn't it? It's funny how that word trust is actually what we'll use to explain large sums of money. Because there's a security in knowing that is there. And so the greedy man lives in a state of fear when it comes actually to the thing he loves, which is money and possessions. And you'll know it because when you talk about money or possessions, that's typically the first response that will rise in him and that you'll see through him. His love of money leads to this kind of existence. Are you fearful around the topic of money, whether you have much of it or have very little? Okay, Jesus goes on. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Uh, The greedy man is blind. I've mentioned this in different ways, but I think this is such an interesting detour in the sermon. We're talking about treasure. We're going to talk about treasure. Talking about money. We're going to talk about money. But first, let's talk about your eyes. Why? Why would he go from discussing treasure of the heart to the health of a person's eyes? Tim Keller addresses this in his work, Counterfeit Gods. He says, some years ago, I was doing a seven-part series of talks on the seven deadly sins at a men's breakfast. I'm thinking probably much like this. My wife, Kathy, told me, I'll bet that the week you deal with greed will be the lowest attendance. She was right. People packed it out for lust and wrath and even for pride, but nobody thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the other people around me. Greed hides itself from the victim. The money God's MO includes blindness to your own heart. And this has been true of my experience in pastoral ministry as well. The greedy man denies his greediness because he can't see it and doesn't want to see it. So let me maybe try and help see some various things that might be just yellow flashing lights, that there could be the seeds of greed. In your own hearts? Do you minimize, rationalize, or justifies behavior around spending or saving? Is there a, an initial defensiveness when someone asks you how you're doing with regards to money? Do you have a tendency to overwork? Do you lose sleep or does your mood change over the, the state of the markets? Or can you remain steady no matter what's going on? No high highs, no low lows. Um, do, do you um, fall prey to purchasing a car or a home or things that you really can't afford? Do you incur an unhealthy amount of debt for yourself, the kind that actually hinders the ability to live and especially to give anything? Or on the other hand, do you do excessive budgeting to having to hold from this day forward? I do wed myself to thee. Right? It's a, it's a type of being miserly Where where even you're so restrictive with money, it starts to harm the lives of the ones you love. It restricts their life. Do you have a heightened insecurity around people of wealth? Or do you have a strange appetite to know people of wealth? Do you fall prey to little or no giving to the church or other charitable organizations or causes? And then hear that, and the first response in your own heart is to give good reason for why that's the case. If that church wasn't so blame-awful, I'd probably give something to it. Right? If I could find a worthy cause, then I'd probably give something. I say those things because they exist in me. Are you easily offended when spoken to about money or possessions? Is there an intense growing desire for material things? Do you have self-justifying thoughts and actions around tithing, around giving? Does the offering during corporate worship actually kind of bother you or make you feel awkward? It feels so unnecessary to do this. Do you get frustrated when you receive support letters from missionaries? Because there's guilt-induced... I should give, but this is my 17th letter in the calendar year 2018. Right? Or can you look at those, and whether you are called to give or not, you sense charity and care about the work that's being done. We have to dig deep, don't we? Because greed hides from us. That's why Jesus talked about the eye. Next, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's 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 not just money, it's possessions. It's material good and material wealth. And what we see here is that the greedy man is enslaved. He may be or become rich, but he will always be a slave to his riches. He does not control his money, his money controls him. Because money has received what every God receives his functional trust and his devoted life of service. The greedy man isn't a free man, he's actually a chained man. And don't be mistaken, even if he gets what he thinks that he wants, he will not be free. He has chosen the wrong master. To have God as master is to be freed from money, where it's no longer treasure, but it becomes a tool. It's no longer a master, it becomes a friend. And men often become slaves of the things they seek, don't they? It's almost the picture of a greedy man who doesn't realize it, but he's chained to the silo that he has stored up. And God has meant for his soul and his feet to be free. And though he can see freedom all around him and he's chained himself to his material wealth, he is no more free than the people working in the fields. He's an enslaved man. God wishes for us to be free from the master that money can be. And you see what happens is he starts to hate the one and love the other. And so these are a couple more signs, if you'll bear with me. Do you have a, a sense of anger or resentment towards God when you think about money? Perhaps thoughts of jealousy and envy as you look around and see that you have not what he has. Are your prayers mostly consumed with requests for personal material blessings? Do you define blessings as being primarily about money and possessions? Do you have a quiet judgment towards those working for nonprofit or, or living off of charitable giving from people who have actually worked hard for their money? Is there a quiet judgment that you have towards people who hold positions in places like that? As you all stare at me living off the tithe of the church. (laughs) People like this, with this master complex that are enslaved, will often want to know exactly what percentage God requires to give. And if they're told to give generously and liberally, they want to know what the percentage is. Because, like a student in the sexual realm asking how far is too far. An adult male in the financial realm is asking the exact same question How far can I get without going too far? Do you give to the church and charity only for tax breaks or recognition? Ouch, this stings me. Instead of it terminating on the other person, it's not selfish giving, it's selfless giving. Do you have a sense of being stuck or numb spiritually where you wouldn't say you hate God, but you sure, when it comes to this thing, don't feel close to Him. You don't trust Him. And you struggle to give God thanks. These are all different things that take place in the heart of someone who is enslaved to the riches without realizing they're enslaved to the riches. It creates a dissonance between them and God because their functional God isn't Him. It's Memona. It's money, it's possessions. And then lastly, this is where Jesus ends his sermonette. We love this passage if you're an anxious person like me. But remember, it's in the context of money that he's giving this passage about anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. They're not storing up their treasure. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can actually add even a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? And your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The greedy man is anxious. Notice Jesus draws direct attention to specific material needs to drive home his point. Anxiety makes you think and worry about yourself and your needs. And that's what a greedy person is consumed with self. It is their own kingdom they wish to expand and extend. It's their own name that they wish to expand and extend. It's their own influence that they wish to expand and extend. It's their own bank account which they wish (laughs) to expand and extend. And they become anxious because deep down we all know that we have very little control over even the most basic material needs of our lives. Clothing, food, and we are utterly out of control. Money gives us the opportunity to be deceived that we are in control. And it creates anxiety in us because we feel that we are in control. And Jesus wishes to free us from it all. He preaches that very point. The source of anxiety is a loss or lack of perceived control. And the greedy man is out of control. And so are his desires. And so Jesus offers help, but it requires what? See the big glorious but in the passage? You have to seek first his kingdom, not your own. You have to cede to His control. You have to consider and think about the care and the generosity of God. Creation itself declares that if God takes part of the baser parts of creation, then surely He will take care of the apex of it. And He made man to bear His image. And he's more concerned about that than any of you are. Will he not also care for you? And the greedy man is anxious and unable to experience the security that comes in entrusting ourselves to the only secure thing. The greedy man is fearful, blind, enslaved, and anxious. But there is hope, and it's a living hope. I'm actually going to end here. What a bad sermon. You left out the hope. I want you to talk about the hope. You'll see in the box that the generous man is everything that the greedy man is not. But I first want you to consider the generosity of God. I want you to hear it from the Word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him freely for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If He's given us the apex, His blessed Son, the King of Heaven, the ruler of the entire earth, His most prized and precious possession the sum person of His entire wealth. And He freely gave it. In a sense, He didn't store up His treasure in heaven. He put it on earth. So that we might not store up our treasure on earth, but place it in heaven. And if we can just fathom the inestimable generosity of God given to us, in Jesus Christ, what security, not fear, will come? What sight we will see instead of being blind? We won't be enslaved. We'll be free. We won't be anxious. We will have a peace that surpasses any worldly understanding. And so I want you, after I pray to first discuss the generosity of God. And then I want you to go through the questions on the back if you have time to try and identify and start to do battle with those things that greed might actually be producing in your own heart. Okay, a quick word. Nothing is too deep and entangled to be freed from. The roots go deep, but the master gardener can pull up any weed. And so if you have consigned yourself to a life of material wealth and it just being what it is, I want to push against that voice because it is the voice of greed that would cause you to give up and to tell you to dig deep and not hide. To be freed from money is not to hate money. To be freed from money is actually to become incredibly generous. Not only And giving to charitable organizations, but your neighbor, your co-worker, your family. All of a sudden, money will become a tool instead of a treasure, and that's my hope. I think that's what Jesus wants. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. Help us to do good battle in the soil of our hearts, to see the seeds of greed that may exist, and not to feel condemned, but to push through with courage towards you. It is your generosity that will make us freed from this monster. And just as we need to look up to free our eyes from lust, we have to look up to free our eyes from greed. So I pray we would do that this morning together, even in the moments that we have left. For your name's sake, I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.